This very special episode of the Main Event Talk podcast is brought to you by Rich's Billiards. Rich's Billiards, not your average heroes, new name, same place, 5815 Weber. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to this very special and very unique episode of the Main Event Talk Podcast. I am the Main Event Player of the Super C, the God Among Gods, the King Among Kings, the coolest son of a motherfucking bitch, walking God's green earth. 
Now, if you guys had an opportunity to listen to the last episode of the Main Event Talk podcast, I'd mention I was going to be doing a uh, an episode involving The Undertaker. You had a chance to hear everything that he had to say, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that we want to cover as far as The Undertaker goes. Um, <clears throat> this episode, I have... Um, thought long and hard about how I want to do this episode and uh it's something uh this is sort of a main event talk slash thoughts because not only are we going to get into the undertaker and talk about the last ride episodes that he have been doing for the past several months but we're also going to look into the mystique of the man the myth the legend that is the undertaker we're also going to talk about you know possibly some of his career including well you know the it's easy to go ahead and talk about the debut of The Undertaker because that has been over-talked. But what no one ever tries to talk about is the beginnings, the true origins of when we first saw The Undertaker. Now, I'm not talking about seeing who he was in the WWE. I'm talking about the origins before. And I'm talking about the origins of Mean Mark Callis back in the days of WCW. So while everyone goes ahead and decides to talk about the amazing career of this phenomenal athlete that is The Undertaker, I mean, we can talk about that we want to, but sometimes it's okay to look back into the career of one of the greatest performers in the history of this business. But there's nothing wrong with looking into his past just a little bit deeper. And I'm not going all the way deep. Let's just say that I feel that we need to really look into the depth of The Undertaker, so to speak. So, get a chance to listen to everything on this episode and more. Because this is going to be... It's going to be a unique episode, but it's also going to be something that I think... I, I think a lot of people will enjoy. Plus, I'll give you my little experiences of the things that I've seen in The Undertaker when he first came over here to Corpus Christi years ago. And several other things I probably won't mention on this episode of the Main Event Talk podcast. So this is a personal tribute to The Undertaker. And all I can say is um, the hashtag has been pretty much all over the place. And it bears repeating. Thank you, Taker. Hashtag thank you, Taker. So we talked about um, The Undertaker, um, a career of one of the greatest superstars in the history of the WWE. Uh, you know, um, you know, we can all talk about his career. We can all talk about how the beginning of the origins of his career when he first started back in Survivor Series of 1990. But... For me as a kid, when I first started following The Undertaker, or actually <clears throat> when I first started following his career, it happened right around, I would say, 1989, probably 88 as well, when I think about it. Um, long before the debut of The Undertaker, because that's always been the thing that everyone talks about. I mean, when you hear about The Undertaker, when you understand about The Undertaker, everyone goes to the, or, you know, goes to right where it started, the Survivor Series, you know, when he first came out a long, long time ago. But for me, it has always been about WCW. <laughs> right around the time, I think, um, if memory serves me correctly, 
Um, the Undertaker was in WCW, and he was known at that time as Mean Mark Callis. Now, back in the days of WCW, he used to be part of a team known as the Skyscrapers. And the Skyscrapers were, at that time, I think originally it consists of um, Sid Vicious and Dangerous Dan Spivey. That was, I think, the original Skyscrapers. And then I think there were reports of Sid having problems and um, he was, you know, going through some crazy stuff. I think uh, I think he was injured and I think and uh, there were reports of trying to bring in the Undertaker or I'm sorry, <laughs> trying to bring in uh, this new guy that would be known as Mark Calloway. So they came up with several names for Mark at the time. And they went ahead and came up with the whole Mean Mark Callis persona, right? So Mean Mark at the time uh, was, I think he was in the USWA back in the day, and they brought him into WCW. And when they brought him in, uh, it was just so crazy um, watching this career and, and seeing how this all started for the Undertaker. Um, originally, when um, I, he had this thing, long before the tombstone, he had something called the hard punch. Um, I think I remember it was at a time where, let's see, uh, Mark, like I said, Mark, Mark was part of the skyscrapers, but then that kind of fell through because of certain things with Dan Spivey. So the uh, Mark Callis were, or mean Mark, however it goes, would go ahead and, you know, would be on his own, uh, do the things he uh, did. Of course, his manager at the time was Paul Heyman, or Paul Lee Dangerously, back in that time. And he had what was known as a hard punch, and he had devastated a lot of superstars back in the, uh, back in the day. It was 1990. Um, Great American Bash, 1990. Uh, this was the same pay-per-view where uh, Sting would take on Ric Flair for the world title. And, of course, we know about how that story went down when Sting defeated Ric Flair. At the same time, Mark Callis, or Mark Callis at the time, was taking on Lex Luger for the United States Championship. Paul Heyman was his manager. And um, when I saw how he wrestled, uh, he, was, um, he was a tremendous wrestler. He was great. I mean, he was a young guy trying to, you know, make his make himself a huge name in WCW, and he fared well with Lex Luger. Uh, I know Lex Luger, you know, beat the under well beat Mark Callis at the time at the Great American Bash to retain the United States Championship. But there was something within Mark Callis. There was, and it was one of those things where, man, it was so crazy watching this, you know, seeing what what he has done and everything. There were small bits and pieces of The Undertaker that you would see at the time. And it was such a different, different origin, you know, different timing. So at the time, I remember uh, The Undertaker, or at that time, Mark Callis, was, uh, was gone. July was the last appearance that he made in uh, WCW. There was no word about what happened to him. There was no um, deal about you know what what was going to happen with 
more callous. But as we would find out later, something would happen in the months that happened in 1990. He would be a part of WCW for a while, and then his last appearance would be at the Great American Bash in 1990. And then a few months down the road, something else happened. I think the legacy of The Undertaker is reliability, is dedication to the craft, caring and loving about the business so much that you put it above all else. He's legit one of the greatest performers of all time in any form of entertainment. You can't deny the passion of that. You can't deny the dedication of that. You can't do what he did and not love this. He gave his whole life to it. The bar for respect is the undertaker. It's not like getting to the top of the mountain and staying there. So be able to do that for, you know, the amount of years, decades, uh, it's incredible. That goes into his investment and his passion, but you believe. But I think as long as you believe, then the undertaker will be the undertaker. So we're reaching a point in 1990 where Mark Callis is out of WCW. And some of the things that I've heard was that um, I think it was an old school uh, wrestler by the name of Ole Anderson who was a part of the Four Horsemen at the time. Uh, there were stories about Ole Anderson's comments towards Mark Callis at the time where he had mentioned that this guy's not going to draw a dime. He's not going to make it in this business. <laughs> and um, I've heard stories about that. And it was one of those things where um, I, I, at the kid, I didn't, I, as a kid, I didn't know what was going on. I was just following wrestling and I was just following the, what it was. And then all of a sudden, uh, we're in Survivor Series in November. We're getting close to the event. And at that time, you had The Undertaker. Uh, well, he didn't come out just yet. Survivor Series would consist of two teams. Um, it would, you know, the traditional Survivor Series and everything. Now, while people can go ahead and talk about what has transpired at Survivor Series, I, on the other hand, had decided that we're going to go in a different route. We're going to go in a different direction. So at Survivor Series, you had the Dream Team taking on the Million Dollar Team. Now, they never talked about what was originally scheduled, but I will bring it up here. The Million Dollar Team consists of, at the time, Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, Rhythm and Blues uh, of the Honky Tonk Man, and um, Greg the Hammer Valentine, and then you had Bad News Brown. And they would take on the team of the dream team of the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Coco Beware, and the Heart Foundation. That was supposed to have been the original team for Survivor Series in 1990. But uh, no one had explained about what happened with Bad News Brown. Supposedly, I think his contract had expired or 
or there was some confliction or, or some story. So there was one opening left in the million dollar team. And of course, this was the origins and the beginning of The Undertaker. Mark Callis was in WCW for a while and he did tremendous for himself. He was pretty much a polished performer. And now all of a sudden he would appear in the WWF. So when he first started in Survivor Series in 1990, it was one of the it was a, a crazy debut because you have to look back to when when he first started. You know, Ted DiBiase comes out with a microphone, reveals the fourth individual for his team, and here comes the Undertaker, and Brother Love is right there with him, right? Which was uh, very very crazy to look at. So. While everyone is in awe of who The Undertaker is, I was I didn't see this on pay-per-view. I, I remember seeing it on Coliseum Home Video when it was on VHS. When I saw it, um, The Undertaker comes out. I look closely at him. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This dude looks familiar. And then when he took his hat off and everything, I looked at him. Everyone looked at him and probably were scared out of their fucking minds when they saw The Undertaker. I wasn't scared. I looked at him. I said, wait a minute. Why does this dude look familiar? And I was like, oh, my God, it's mean Mark Callis. He's The Undertaker, you know, and that was like, holy shit. And when I saw how he performed at, at the Survivor Series, he goes ahead he he takes on Coco Beware. He pretty much threw him around like a rag doll, hit him with a tombstone, and that was it. And I was like, oh my god, this is the same guy, but this is a totally, totally different individual. I mean, we know it was we know it's Mark Calloway and we know it's the um you know, mean Mark Callis. But when he comes out as the Undertaker, it is a totally different mystique totally different mystique he comes out he defeats coco beware he drags around jim the anvil nightheart like nothing goes toe-to-toe with brett the it man heart and goes toe-to-toe with dusty Rhodes. and we would receive the origins of the undertaker we would receive what this is so i look at two different things what i look at is i'm looking at Mean Mark Callis from back in 1990 and in 1989. This was, you know, a great wrestler, great wrestler, great talent, good at what he did. And then all of a sudden you look back into the WWF and you look at the beginning of the Survivor Series and you see how this Undertaker mystique comes out. This was a completely different individual. He had some of the same moves that I saw in WCW, but it almost like he took it up a notch and brought it to something so different that it makes you think, my God, you know, and <laughs> and he would become the biggest star of the company. We, we wouldn't see it just yet. We wouldn't see it just yet. This would be just the beginning. The Survivor Series of 1990 was the beginning. And The Undertaker was going to take things to a whole new level that nobody would ever see.
there's a definite mood that that changes within the entire arena when that first gong hits. I just remember being in awe of him. He just has that larger-than-life aura about him, whether he's in the ring or, or walking into a room. He's magnetic in that sense. He was able to take that character and morphed it in order to keep this dead man alive. And he delivered all the time. He's a guy that always raised the bar. It's just something special. There's You hear the term lightning in a bottle, and every once in a while, if make it to the top you've caught it but man he caught it for like what, 30 years he is the greatest character in the history of this company taker was just a whole new deal the character was so unique it was mythical you know legendary it was just amazing you know never before in history have you seen a guy that that was that big that could do things that were so athletic 610 and 280 pounds the diving over the top roll you know that guys his size don't do that he's the only character that's been able to maintain the integrity of that character and then add to it it was then and is today the greatest character in the history of the business, as far as I'm concerned. It was so strong and so well-defined. Um, it was just a, a unique package. I think he's the biggest star in the history of the business. So around that time uh, in 1990, we, we go in from that to heading towards the next Survivor Series. And The Undertaker at that time was undefeated. No one has been able to beat this man. This man has tombstone every single superstar that got in his way. Um, I still remember watching WrestleMania 7 and seeing a match against Superfly Jimmy Snuka. And that would be the beginning. That would be the beginning of the streak. Undertaker would go as far as he can. I, I still remember when he had a storyline involving himself and Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, there was something that happened you know, towards that time. It was such, such a unique persona that we go into Survivor Series of 1991 and The Undertaker would be involved in a match with Hulk Hogan in what we considered the gravest challenge. And uh, I still remember watching those on um, Superstars. I would be at home. Uh, we didn't have cable at the time, but we were watching Superstars on Channel 3, right? And we were, um, you know, we were seeing all these reports about The Undertaker and, and uh, Hulk Hogan facing off against each other in the gravest challenge. At that time, um, Ric Flair was just coming into the company and he was trying to go after... Hulk Hogan for the world title and The Undertaker was pretty much in his way and The Undertaker wanted to get his hands on Hulk Hogan and take the WWF championship from him. So here we are in Survivor Series, 1991 appears and The Undertaker as as of every match I've seen him in looked phenomenal, looked tremendous, 
he had Hulk Hogan in every single way. And despite the fact that, yes, <laughs> people will go ahead and say, you know, well, the Undertaker defeated Hulk Hogan, yada, yada, yada. What they won't mention is, well, Ric Flair was there. <laughs> and Ric Flair had brought the chair in and, um, you know, tombstone the living hell out of Hulk Hogan and would win the world title for the first time in his career. And I believe, if memory serves me correctly, uh, there have been several superstars in the WWE that have made a phenomenal debut. But I don't think, like the, like the Undertaker, he beats Hulk Hogan. He takes the WWF Championship. I think if, uh, unless my history is wrong, I think he's the first man to become undefeated in the WWF had not had a loss and he goes in you know besides Goldberg Undertaker walks in defeats Hulk Hogan and takes a WWE championship at Survivor Series and I guess he was the first man to be unbeaten to win a world title 1990 was the debut 1991 was where he would win his first gold. And that was, you know, something special there. Of course, there were back-to-back matches with Hogan and, and Undertaker where Hogan would get the title back and it would take place over in Houston, Texas. Um, I think I, I remember, and this is a, a story that I know quite well, uh, in my own personal view, when The Undertaker first came over here to Corpus Christi, uh, I think it was right right around, uh, it was 1991, I think it was November 2nd, and November 3rd would be this Tuesday in Texas. They would have their match over there. Undertaker was a champion. He appeared, and I think if I remember, he, he walked out one time with the world title, and they were trying to set up something between Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker, and you know, set it up over in Houston, Texas, which he did. When you see The Undertaker, I saw him, uh, and he he was, my God, the man was so big. <laughs> the man was, he, he was six foot 11, six foot, almost seven feet tall, with Paul Bear on his side. Man, it was so crazy, you know, watching The Undertaker and seeing what he does, and he was just amazing to watch. So Tuesday in Texas comes along, and Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker would have their match. And, uh, of, of course, it end, ended in controversy. Hulk Hogan did win the match, and I, I, my personal opinion on that is even though Hulk Hogan won the match and beat The Undertaker, I still feel at that time he was unbeaten. <laughs> I, I still feel he was unbeaten. So then The Undertaker and Hulk Hogan would escalate their feud even further at the Royal Rumble. And that's when the title would be vacated and 30 superstars would have an opportunity to go after the championship. So Undertaker would come at a, at a high number and so would Hulk Hogan. And the Undertaker and Hogan would have their feud and I think it would end right there. But then the mystique of the Undertaker would continue. It would continue on. And I remember watching The Undertaker. Um, there was a match between the Macho Man Randy Savage and Jake the Snake Roberts. Jake the Snake and The Undertaker were, I believe, friends. I believe they were uh, allies, so to speak. And Jake the Snake was trying to end his feud with the Macho Man on Saturday night's main event. I, uh, I believe 
I remember watching the end of Saturday Night's main event where Macho Man had won his match against Jake the Snake Roberts. Elizabeth is right there with him. They're walking towards the curtain. And this was this is right at the end of Saturday Night's main event. Walking towards the curtain, Jake the Snake Roberts is waiting for Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth to come out. He had a steel chair waiting to take him out. And then after that, that was it. I was like, what the fuck? What's going on here? What happened? What the fuck happened? And then all of a sudden, um, a couple days later, I'm watching Superstars. And they showed the end of what happened. So here comes Elizabeth. Here comes uh, Macho Man. They're on their way. Jake the Snake Roberts has a steel chair. And once they enter the curtain, Jake the Snake is about to hit him with the steel chair. And then who interferes? The Undertaker. And I just get like... What the fuck is going on here? You know, and I I get, you know, I guess when I looked at it and when I saw what The Undertaker was doing, I think at that time they were trying to turn The Undertaker babyface. I think they were trying to turn him into something completely different. So it was crazy. It was crazy watching all that and everything. Uh, I still remember the funeral parlor. I still remember when The Undertaker and Jake had a face-to-face encounter. Uh, One thing that I remember the most, and I I always wanted to know about this, where The Undertaker had his um, hand or arm or whatever stuck on the coffin. Um, Jake had slammed the casket on the undertaker's arm and the undertaker was you you could tell he was in perfect he was in pain but it's almost like like zombie like like he couldn't he knows the pain's there but he's not feeling it and the undertaker was getting his ass kicked by jake the snake roberts he takes a steel chair and he bashes the undertaker several times but like a zombie he keeps walking towards jake with his hand in the fucking casket I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? God damn, this is fucking great. So then we go to WrestleMania 8, and The Undertaker had his match with Jake Roberts, and and there were some reports about Jake, which we, we won't get into in this one. The Undertaker would put his second victim at WrestleMania, and the second victim would be Jake Roberts. Um... Right around that time, The Undertaker had pretty much defeated two superstars at WrestleMania to continue the streak, to continue the streak that was going on. And um, The Undertaker would continue to be this phenomenal athlete. And throughout the next few years, The Undertaker would, you know, evolve. He would change. 1993 was coming along. To me... To me, 1993 was the year when 80s wrestling was dead, and you had all these new stars coming. You had Hulk Hogan was gone, Macho Man was gone, Ric Flair was gone. Everybody that was there in the WWF was gone. And then they wanted to bring in new stars like Bret Hart, like Shawn Michaels, like Mr. Perfect, and they would bring in The Undertaker as well. He would become a part of that whole whole scenario. So The Undertaker would continue having his feuds with, you know, guys like the Giant Gonzalez. And I remember um, Mr. Hughes, he had his feud with him. Uh, And then, of course, he would have his feud with Yoko Zuna um, around that time in 1993, 1994. Um, 
Undertaker has been through several matches in his career, expanding from from 1990 all the way down and further. And he would go through so many changes in his life. Uh, so many changes in his career. Anyway, so many changes to where he's the same guy. You know he's the same guy, but he goes through this dramatic change. And it's a change where you you know it's you know you look at him from a different perspective from the way he dresses himself i mean you see the undertaker he comes out dressed in black and all and with the black hat and everything and then he would you know go into these different colors and everything and go into these different color scheme of things with the undertaker i was always impressed with how he looked and he looked like the dead man every single time I looked at him. And, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't put anything past The Undertaker changing through if you could. But no doubt he would go through more change in his life than you could possibly imagine. When I think Undertaker, I just think that this guy, with all of this mystique, you knew as soon as you met him, he was going to be somebody. Undertaker is a very intelligent man. He knows how to evolve. But that wasn't just the character. It was him evolving as a wrestler. He's proved time and time again he's one of the toughest guys in the history of the business by just some of the stuff that he's done on some of the WrestleMania pay-per-views. He's a war horse. He was having these big-time WrestleMania main event-style matches strictly wrestling. He's the epitome of Superman in this business. Man, when the company's dependent on you, that is a hell of a lot of pressure. You must perform, and that's what he's always done. Undertaker wanted WrestleMania moments. He wanted to have those matches that fans remember forever. And he deserves that. Undertaker deserves all the notoriety. To ride the edge of a lightning bolt for 30 years, he's had hands down one of the absolute best careers in the history of the business. I think Mark is one of the most loyal people I've ever met. It's the loyalty to this, all of it, to the business, to what he dedicated his life to, to what gave him his life. The longevity to evolve in a methodical and meticulous way over the years and to get such reaction, it was just magic. And because of that, you, you can't help but respect the guy through everything there were constants here and he was a constant he was a locker room leader the, what he meant to the business in the ring out of the ring his legacy is that there'll never be another if i was going to brag about my career it wouldn't be about things i've accomplished it would be about the, the people i've worked with the people like undertaker people come up to me and they'll say did you ever wrestle the undertaker and when I say, yeah, like their eyes light up, like all of a sudden I'm somebody. Ticker was at the top of the totem pole. You know, if I had the respect to people like that, that says what my career was, how good it was. The enormity of what he did for my career, it can't be understated. 
I can't even imagine what my life would be like without him. He's one of the best guys to ever step foot in that ring. They'll just, they'll never be anybody like him, ever. We're lucky to be able to have, have seen him perform. I believe The Undertaker has transcended sports entertainment. I will forever think of him as one of the greatest stars in all of entertainment. We talked about the changes that The Undertaker went through. Uh, as far as like outfits and all sorts of stuff like that, that was something that I was, uh, you know, a bit used to seeing. You know, I still remember the um, the black gloves and well, actually, I remember the the gray gloves, black outfit and everything. And then the Undertaker would, you know, change into something else. Same outfit, but it would go purple, right? And then he would, you know, start changing outfits from time to time and everything. And, you know, he would do... He would try to keep the Undertaker mystique the same, you know? He, you know, he was someone that evolved and had changed and have... You know, even though you know it's the same individual, he tr- he tries to evolve. He tries to go with the change. He guys, he tries to go through everything. I still remember. It was 1999. It was the last time that I saw the Undertaker in his own m- mystique and in, in the way he was. Uh, he was a part of the Ministry of Darkness. He had uh, formed the Ministry of Darkness with the corporate ministry. It would become one. He would still be this mythical individual that is the Undertaker. And then, you know, we're going into 1999. Everything changes. The Attitude Era would start, you know, kicking off. Uh, they would basically beat the shit out of WCW and put them in their place. And then... You know, you had stars like Triple H, who was the WWE champion at the time. The Rock, who was the hottest thing going in the Attitude Era. Stone Cold Steve Austin was nowhere near um, uh, the place at the time because he had an injury done to him. So he would be out for a while. So we all wondered the question, where was The Undertaker? You know, he had been gone for quite some time. You know, there are times where The Undertaker... He's there, and then he would leave. He's there, and then he leaves and everything. There's always a reason for somebody to leave in this business. So The Undertaker would be gone in 1999, but then he would return in 2000, and he would come out in a completely different element. But it's an element, I think, that suits him. It suits him a lot. I remember looking at one of my old um, WWF magazines at home, and there's this magazine. There was a 1995 magazine where I see The Undertaker with Paul Bear, and I would see him in a motorcycle. And I remember seeing that, you know. And at that time, I didn't think about it. I, I, I didn't think that that was what the idea was. So Judgment Day comes around in 2000. The Rock is defending the WWF Championship against Triple H in a Iron in an Iron Man match. We're going into the final final fall. Uh, all of a sudden, there were all these promos about Judgment Day coming and and all sorts of stuff, and we weren't sure as to what this was about. DX was there interfering in the matchup. And then all of a sudden, you hear a Kid Rock song coming on. 
And I'm like, wait a minute, what the, what the fuck's going on here? There's this motorcycle coming down, and who should appear but The Undertaker? And my God, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That's the dead man? And at that time, um, The Undertaker had went through being this mystique, this mythical individual from being this motorcycle guy who would be known as the American Badass. And I, you know, I, I looked, I was like, this, this is going to work. This is going to actually work. Because I think back to that, and I think back to the magazine that I had at the house, and I said, man, this is, this is perfect. So you have Triple H in The Rock. You had DX. You had all these characters in the Attitude Era. And then you got The Undertaker, who wouldn't come as himself, wouldn't come out as The Undertaker that we know quite well. He would come out as the American Badass. And he would be a completely different individual. It's the same guy. Same moves and everything, but just comes out at a different persona. And this is where The Undertaker is no longer talking in dead rhymes and all stuff. He is talking like he's going to beat the living shit out of you. And that was something that was like, hell yeah, that works. I was so into this Undertaker. I was so into what this character had brought to the table as opposed to The Undertaker that was at the time. So Undertaker would keep the American badass persona, then he would continue on to go into tag team wrestling with his brother Kane. Now we can talk all we want to about the feud and the whole thing at WrestleMania 14. We can talk about that all we want to. But I always feel like we should talk more about The Undertaker and the Big Red Machine Kane because I remember in 1998 um I think The Undertaker won his first tag team title, and he won it with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I remember a friend of mine <laughs> telling me that that's the best tag team right there. And I kind of looked at her and like, excuse me? Yeah, Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin, they'll be a badass tag team together. And I kind of looked at her as, I don't know about that. Oh, and who do you see? And I, and I pretty much told her nice and calmly as I kind of see... The Undertaker and Kane is a tag team. I'm like, oh, give me a fucking break. Are you kidding me? No, Kane, Kane and Undertaker are not even... They're not even, like, you know, this and that. It's like, well, I think they'd be a badass tag team. As a matter of fact, I think they would be tag team champions. Oh, come on. You're blowing smoke out of your fucking ass, Furman. And as the old expression goes, look who, look who won the pony. <laughs> <laughs> so years ago, um, The Undertaker and Kane would be a tag team, and they would be this this team that would be known as the Brothers of Destruction. Um, they were, to me, personally, I thought, when I looked at them, I, I think back to the skyscrapers. I think back to that time. And if... And, and this is my this is the truth. This is what I think. If you would put the skyscrapers and if you would put Dan Spivey and Sid Vicious on one side and have them take on The Undertaker and Kane, the Brothers of Destruction, I guarantee you that The Undertaker and Kane, the Brothers of Destruction, would beat the shit out of skyscrapers in 10 seconds. That's my opinion on it. The skyscrapers, to me... They were a good tag team, but a lot of people say they were the worst tag team ever. And I can see that. 
The Undertaker and Kane as a team together, they would beat the shit out of any tag team. Hell, I would put I would put this is the truth. Everyone talks about the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors taking on the Dudley Boys, right? They talk about that because you got two very two very different tag teams that won multi-championships and everything. They talk about that being the dream match. I think you would I think it would be better to see the Undertaker and Kane take on the Road Warriors. Put the 1980s Road Warriors against the 2000 of the Undertaker and Kane and put that together and that would be the fucking shit right there because you got four tough badasses four guys that will beat the shit out of you and it don't matter to me if the Road Warriors were champions or if the Undertaker and Kane were champions that would be huge money that would be huge money right there you know, I, w- would I put The Undertaker and Kane against the Road Warrior? You bet your ass I would. I would. The Undertaker would change his persona. He would change who he was again. He would still have the American badass persona to him, but he would be known as Big Evil. And he would do something that, once again, this is another one of those changes that nobody would ever expect. And... It's something that I feel was probably maybe the right move. Maybe not the right move. I don't know. But that's going to be one of those things, kind of like what happened with Stone Cold Steve Austin a while back, where uh, Stone Cold was loved and respected by many. And then when he was trying to turn himself heel, when he shook the hand of Vince McMahon, it was kind of the wrong move. And even, even Stone Cold himself had admitted that that was probably the wrong move to do. So the Undertaker, he would, even though he was still the American badass and everything, he would go through a similar change in that perspective. Because the Undertaker would try to turn heel. So around that time, WCW was out of business. WCW be no more. ECW was gone. And the only game left in town was the WWF. So they've pretty much conquered the sports entertainment world. They've conquered the industry. Now what? The Undertaker, um, I think at that time, uh, The Undertaker was trying to change himself into a bad guy. Which was something I never agreed, agreed with, but it seemed to work. The Undertaker would make everyone hate him. Um, the Undertaker had done several things um, throughout, I think it was uh, December 2001... All the way down to possibly, I think, to July or August of 2002, when he was he was st- he was a bad guy at the time, and he would go through several matches with people like Ric Flair, people like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, he would eventually win the title over Hulk Hogan once again, which he did. And then he had his feud with Kurt Angle. And the one match that sticks out the most in 2002 was where The Undertaker had a ladder match against Jeff Hardy. And Jeff Hardy was, uh, you know, he was one half of one of the best tag teams of all time, the Hardy Boys. And then that team would split up. Matt Hardy would go to SmackDown and Jeff Hardy would be on Raw. And I remember seeing Undertaker and Jeff Hardy 
go up against each other, and this would be for the WWE Championship, and this would be in a ladder match. Uh, this happened on Monday Night Raw almost around, I think, June of 2002 when it happened. The Undertaker was this badass heel, and he didn't give a shit about what the fuck was going on around him. He had the WWE Championship in his hand, and all he wanted to do was beat the living shit out of people who wanted to go after his title. And he was trying to do something with Jeff Hardy. And at that time, Jeff Hardy was trying to make a name for himself, and even though people recognize him as one half of the, of the, the Hardy Boys in the tag team ranks, Jeff Hardy was trying to make it as a single. And he was trying to do the best he can to take on The Undertaker. And he, and he was hitting hard. And I still remember that crowd cheering on Jeff Hardy all the way. And every single time when people keep thinking that Jeff Hardy is down, he finds a way to get away from The Undertaker. Right? <coughs> so right around the time, Jeff Hardy puts away The Undertaker. And he, here's the ladder. There's the WWE Championship up there. And I still remember seeing Jeff climb up the ladder slowly I can hear JR uh, in the background saying go get it kid go get it this is your chance this is your opportunity make yourself a star and I kept hearing that over and over again and Jeff Hardy is getting closer and closer and closer to the WWE championship and then all of a sudden the Undertaker would take that away from him you know he would take that away hit him with the last ride and then the undertaker would climb up the ladder and take the wwe championship and that would be the end of the match now that was over but what happened next was a completely different was completely different here so you got the undertaker who won the match who became champ who was still champion and he he was just in all you know he just kept going and you know, walked away and then jeff hardy was messed up bruised and destroyed and he had a microphone in his set in his hand and told him i'm not done with you taker i'm still standing and you know jeff hardy's trying to stand up and he's he's trying to pull himself up and everything and the undertaker is just looking at him like are you fucking kidding me? And then I'm thinking, oh, shit, here comes The Undertaker, and he's about to beat the shit out of Jeff Hardy right here on national television. And Jeff Hardy is just there. You can tell he's scared, but he wasn't going to back down from The Undertaker. He was going to take the fight to him no matter what. And then when The Undertaker was about to hit him, he just looked at looked at him, and he just kind of kind of pet his head up a little bit. It's like, and, he, and then he pick his head up and just raised it like huh and that was that was one of those things where <clears throat> the undertaker had showed respect had showed respect to jeff hardy and that was a moment where i said man this was <laughs> i like this this is pretty cool um even though jeff hardy lost a match uh against the undertaker for the wwe championship he gained a lot of respect he gained a lot of respect from The Undertaker. And that is very, very cool to watch. When you get an opportunity to face off against a legend like The Undertaker, and you go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, and you do whatever you can to be on top, and you try to beat someone like The Undertaker, and if you give the fight to him, he'll show you respect. And that's what The Undertaker did. He had shown respect to... Jeff Hardy around that time. And I think around that same week, um, 
I think John Cena had a match when he first debuted on SmackDown. He took on Kurt Angle. And Kurt Angle went toe-to-toe with Cena. And, of course, they had their, you know, match and everything. Kurt Angle won. John Cena was trying to show his respect. And Kurt Angle said, fuck you. Get the hell out of here. And then, all of a sudden, there were all these stars all around John Cena congratulating him on his his match against Kurt Angle. And then, here comes The Undertaker. Everybody scatters. There's The Undertaker meeting face-to-face with John Cena. And I still remember seeing The Undertaker face-to-face with John Cena and, you know, saying, what's your name, kid? And he goes, John Cena. And I still remember The Undertaker taking his hand out to John Cena and John Cena shook his hand and telling him, damn good match, kid. And then that was it, and... It was like, it was funny, you know, not funny seeing that. It was, you know, kind of cool watching it because you had him show respect for someone like Jeff Hardy. And then The Undertaker shows respect to John Cena. And it's funny because it's almost like The Undertaker was touching everyone in every way possible right and it was like funny it's almost like the undertaker knew what the future was of WWE and i think he knew right away uh that this was going to be it that this was going to be the time this was going to be the place where the undertaker would not only still be the WWE champion and not only you know someone that was going to still be this badass that everybody knows The Undertaker would find a way to get all of these wrestlers, get all of these newcomers that are trying to make names for themselves, and he wants to elevate them. You know, he's trying to do something with Jeff Hardy, which was cool. He gives respect to John Cena, which was also great as well. The Undertaker always wants to put out the new talent for everyone to see because while some of the older veterans will just look at these young guys and say they ain't got shit they ain't got a future they ain't got nothing the undertaker years ago in 1990 was told that same thing by another old veteran by ole anderson he had said that the undertaker wouldn't draw a dime Here we are in 2002, and he's a WWE champion. He's drawing a lot more money than probably Ole Anderson would possibly do. So, Ole Anderson probably at that time may have eaten his words. And The Undertaker, all he was doing was trying to give the young talent, trying to give the new stars of tomorrow a chance to shine. He gave that to Jeff Hardy. He gave that to John Cena. It's pretty amazing, and... Whether you like The Undertaker or whether you hate The Undertaker, The Undertaker is someone that not only will show you respect, he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you in every way possible. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's just um, a bit of a sample of what you're getting right here on this episode of uh, this very special episode of the Main Event Talk podcast. But believe it or not, we're not done. 
We're not over by a long shot because this is just part one of my personal tribute to The Undertaker. We've talked about the origins of The Undertaker before The Undertaker. We've talked about the championships. We've talked about several of the things that The Undertaker has done over the years from 1990 all the way down to 2002. And in part two, I'm going to explain a whole lot more about The Undertaker, where we go from the American badass to the return of the dead man. And he would win championships, and he would have several, several of the greatest matches in his career. And we would also talk about the streak as well. And you'll get an opportunity to hear four of my favorite matches involving The Undertaker and certain particular superstars. And it all has to do with WrestleMania. (laughs) So guys, sit back, relax. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Don't sit back, relax. If you want to hear this episode again, you can if you want. But the one thing that I will tell all of you is this. If you want to sit back, relax, and get ready for part two, be ready because it's going to be an interesting ride. The Undertaker, to me, is one of the greatest superstars of all time, and he deserves nothing but respect and admiration from all of his peers, to all of his fans, to all the wrestlers that he's been associated with. And personally, to me as a fan, I love The Undertaker, and I do have a lot more I want to say about The Undertaker, but I'll save that for part two. So guys, be ready. This tribute show for The Undertaker is not over by a long shot. This is just part one, and we are only just getting started. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. When I hear the trumpet sound, I'm gonna rise right out of the ground. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. Well, look way down the river, and what do you think I see? I see a band of angels, and they're coming after me. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. Well, look down yonder, Gabriel. Put your feet on the land and see. But Gabriel, don't you blow your trumpet till you hear from me. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. Meet me, meet me in the middle of the air. And if these wings don't fail me, I will meet you anywhere. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. 
well meet me, mother and father. Meet me down the river road. And mama, you know that I'll be there when I check in my 